get some time to go out on the town tonight. And so we're going to get right into our passage for tonight in the book of 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. And you can find that up here on the screen in front of you or you can check it out on the app. All right. And we are going to read the first 16 verses of 2 Kings chapter 7. All right. This is God's word. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a saya of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two sayas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army so that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come. Let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses. See that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a saya of fine flour was sold for a shekel, 
and two sayas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Lift your hands with me as we pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us. We are grateful that you love to communicate your grace to your people through your word. So we ask right now that you would meet us. We pray that you would encourage us. We, we pray that we would have ears to hear what you say to us in this text. And we pray that Jesus, who he is and what he has done, would be all the more precious to us because of our time spent in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may not know, but in a former life, before I was called into ministry, uh, I was a musician. I was in show business. And one of the things that I uh, learned to do was, was to analyze a song, to look at a song and, and to try and appreciate it, understand it, so that, you could, so that you could perform it. And so one of the things I love to do is I, I love to listen to good songs and, and, and try to hear how they communicate the human experience. And one song that I've, I've spent a little bit of time thinking through is, is a song by Simon and Garfunkel called Bridge Over Troubled Water. And it goes like this. When you're weary Feeling small When tears are in your eyes I will dry them all I'm on your side Oh, when times get The second verse goes like this. But the second verse, I, I love the second verse because it, it's getting into our, our sermon theme. It says, when you're down and out, when you're on the street, when evening falls so Comfort you. I'll take your part. Oh, when darkness falls and pain is all around. Water, I will lay me down 
That's the gospel according to, to Simon and Garfunkel. That is the gospel according to Simon and Garfunkel, all right? But check it out. There's something, you, you may know this song, but there's some data about this song you may not know yet. You need to appreciate this because it, it prompts a question from us. This song, check it out, it reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and stayed at the top of the chart for six weeks in the U.S. and three in the U.K. Bridge Over Troubled Water was ranked number 47 on the Rolling Stones' 500 greatest songs of all time. That's a big deal. Number 47 of the 500 greatest songs of all time in the Rolling Stone. It's one of the most covered songs in history. You may not have known that. This song has been covered by the likes of Aretha Franklin, Elvis, the Jackson 5, Stevie Wonder, Whitney Houston, and this evening, Russ Whitfield, all right? <laughs> it's won five Grammys and was the title song to the all-time greatest selling album on Columbia Records. In 2010, Bridge Over Troubled Water was brought into the Songwriters Hall of Fame and honored with its Towering Song Award. But here's the question that all of this information prompts. Why is it that Bridge Over Troubled Water has prompted so much attention? Why has it gained so much appreciation? Why is it that it has been repeatedly covered and, and given so many awards and, and ranked so high? Why is it that this touches a nerve with so many people across so many different lines? The reason why is because deep down, each and every one of us long for the kind of presence that is described in this song. Across cultural lines, across socioeconomic lines, across generational lines, each and every one of us long for the kind of presence described in this song when we're weary, when we're feeling small, when, when tears are in our eyes. We long for someone who will dry those tears. We long for someone who will be on our side when darkness falls, when pain is all around. All of us are longing for mercy. All of us, when we're in our honest moments, are in touch with the fact that we are broken people. And what does brokenness mean? It simply means that everything within you Everything around you and so much of what is in between you is not the way it was supposed to be. There's something not right. There's something off kilter. There's something spoiled about it. There's something just off. It's corrupted. It's, it's crooked. That's what brokenness is. And all of us are more familiar with it than we want to admit. We know brokenness in our emotions. We don't feel the way we were supposed to feel. Evidence, you can look at people who are going through hell and not care. You don't feel the way you were supposed to because your feelings are broken. You don't think the way you were meant to think. And you can tell when your mind is preoccupied with yourself rather than the lovely, the true, the beautiful, and the good. Your mind doesn't work right because your mind is broken. You can't rely upon your mind alone. And we all know that so many of our relationships are broken. We come from broken homes. Yes, all of us. 
We all come from dysfunctional families. We all have seen ridiculous drama in our friendships. All of us have seen what's going on in the daily news and how difficult it is for people to live together with any kind of mutual concern. We know brokenness so well, and that's why tonight, this, this text before us is such good news, because in this text, we see God's word to the broken. We see God's word to the broken in our text for this evening, and And when we hear God's word to the broken, we see that God calls broken people to receive mercy. And God calls broken people to extend mercy. God calls broken people to receive mercy. And God calls broken people to extend mercy. So let's get into our text where we we hit our first point. God calls broken people to receive mercy. Now, we drop into the book of 2 Kings, and this may be very unfamiliar to you. But let me set a little bit of context so you can appreciate the good news in this text. In this text, Samaria is in a bad situation because they are experiencing a famine. But this isn't the kind of famine that happens as a result of bad weather. You know, when the rain doesn't come and the crops don't grow, it's it's not that kind of famine. It's the kind of famine that results from warfare. All right. Now, one of the most celebrated uh, war techniques in the ancient world was siege warfare. All right. Now, what they would do is an enemy, if they were going to attack their opponent, they would often surround the city walls and they would stop supplies from getting in. They would stop resources from getting in. It was a war of attrition. Eventually, they're going to run out of food. Eventually, they're going to run out of water and then they're going to be faced with a choice. They will either die inside those city walls or they will have to come out to us and deal with us. And then we'll have our way with them. We'll enslave them or we'll kill them or we'll do something else worse to them. And so this is the situation of Samaria. It's bad. There's a famine in the city. Everything is is terrible. And if if you look at the, the lead up to this passage for this evening, there is this is how bad things are. And a few uh, scenes before our passage for this evening, it lets us know that things are so bad in Samaria that a donkey's head went for 80 shekels, which is like six and a half years of wages. Now, I'm going to give you a little exegetical insight. The Samarians wanted to eat a donkey's head about as much as you and I do. No one was pulling up to the McDonald's drive-thru saying, give me a large Coke and a donkey's head. No one, that's... No one wanted to do that, but they were so desperate that they would pay that kind of money for a donkey's head. And in another scene before this passage, it lets us know that things were so bad that people were resorting to cannibalism. We hear a story about two mothers who made a deal, and the mothers made this deal. They said, okay, today we'll eat my child, and tomorrow we'll eat your child. And so they ate this woman's child But then when it came to the next day, this woman wouldn't give her child up. And and then they started to complain. They brought their complaint to the king. And then they call out. They say, help my Lord, O king. And this was his response. If the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? In other words, he was saying, I don't have the resources to help you. Samaria was in a state of chaos and community upheaval as a result of siege warfare. The the enemy had hemmed them in. 
And so there were no resources for them to get a hold of. In fact, what the enemy did successfully was keep them separated from the resources they needed in order to live. But then you have to appreciate that as we work through our text for today, we come upon these protagonists, these unwitting protagonists in the story. It's four lepers, all right? Now, leprosy was a systemic disease. It was a disease that that was rooted on your inside, but then it would show up on the outside in boils and and ugly uh, marks on your skin. I mean, it it was inside out kind of disease. And as a result of their leprosy, these men were put out of the city. They were rejected. They were, they were despised by, their, by their, their people in the city. And they're found at the city gates. And, and when, we, when we come to verses 3 and 4 in our text, we're like invited into their conversation. And this is what their conversation goes like. They say, all right, man, look, if we go into the city... We're going to die in the city because there's no resources in the city. If we stay here, we're going to die here because we aren't getting any resources here. So we might as well go out to the camp of the enemy and see if it might be possible to receive mercy. They, this is what they do. They consider all of their options and they conclude that all of the options lead to death and their only hope is in mercy. Mercy from an unexpected source. That, that's the conclusion they draw. The only hope we have here is if we receive mercy from, from the people who should be killing us. And so they decide to make their way out to the camp of the Syrians. And it says that they left at twilight. It's pitch black. Imagine these four lepers. They're creeping out there and every step increases their heart rate, their palms are sweaty, they're afraid. And as they start to get to the edge of the camp, one of the lepers says, all right, bruh, why don't you go ahead on in and give it a look? We're going to hold down the perimeter out here. He's like, man, I'm not going in there by myself. We got to do this thing together. Ready? One, two, three. Man, you ain't going, man. Come on, man. (laughs) They're terrified. As they've been walking out in the middle of the night, it's pitch black, but what they see are thousands of campfires that have been set by the enemy because they're, they're holding down the camp, right? So all of these lights are out there. They see how, how many the enemy is. And so they get out to the edge of the camp, and they finally gather up the courage to walk into the first camp, and they, and they walk to the tent, and there's no one there. And they see food. And so they start stuffing their faces with the food. And they start drinking the drinks. And then the text says that they started grabbing silver and gold. And they they had their hands filled. And they were like, I don't know what to do with this. There's so much here. And they go and they start burying it. And then they go to the next tent. And they start eating. And they start drinking. And then they take the gold and the silver and they bury it. They put on new clothes. Man, they're looking fly at this point. You know, everything is turned around for them. But you have to look at the text and see what has happened here. The text tells us that the Lord had caused the, the, the army of the Syrians to hear the sound of an army. And they became afraid and they broke camp. They didn't pack their stuff up. They just rolled out. They left and all of their stuff was remaining. 
So these lepers have stumbled upon the riches of a war that was won before they ever got there. They stumble upon the resources of a battle that the Lord fought before they had ever got out to to the camp. They're feasting as a result of God's victory in that battle. And they, re, they, they experienced this unimaginable mercy. I mean, they knew how bad things were in the city. They knew how bad things were at the camp. And they get out here and they can't even believe the resources that have become theirs. It's an astonishing thing that has happened. Someone was fighting for them. And this, friends, is the story of every Christian. Because we were in a siege of the enemy. He kept us separated from the resources that we needed to live, from the hope and life of God. He had us around. We looked and all around us was death. All around us was brokenness. All around us was hopelessness. And we came to the conclusion that our only hope for survival was to find mercy in a most unexpected place. Finding mercy in God was the most unexpected thing we could imagine. He was the God who should have smoked us. He's the God who should have laid his wrath and judgment upon us. He's the God that we offended and we rejected, but he is the one who showed us this unimaginable mercy. We have found mercy in the most unexpected place, in the most unimaginable way. Why? Because a couple hundred years after he put the Syrian army to flight, the Lord engaged in another battle where he put a greater enemy to flight. But it wasn't the sound of an army that put this enemy to flight. It was the sound of a hammer ringing on nails that went through his wrist. It was the sound of a voice that called out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was, this, it was the cry of victory, it is finished, that put this enemy to flight. And as a result of the victory of Jesus in that battle with sin, the devil, and death itself, you and I have stumbled into unimaginable resources. We have become the beneficiaries of an unimaginable mercy. You cannot measure it. You can't contain it. You can't, you can't even get your mind around what we have received in Jesus. This is the good news of the gospel. Just as the lepers didn't do anything to win this unimaginable resource, you and I have done nothing to earn this mercy. And just like these most broken people came into this this incredible feast, that's our story, y'all. Do you know yourself to be a broken beggar who has stumbled into incredible resources in the gospel? Is that how you identify yourself? Is that how you think about yourself? This is the beautiful thing. When we cried out, like the women, for the king's help, the Lord said, how shall I help you? Let me count the ways. Take my strength for your weakness. Take my healing for your brokenness. Take my fullness for your emptiness. Take my everything away and fill your nothing. This is the good news of the gospel. It's all through this text. You see, Jesus took our part when darkness fell over the world. 
He is the bridge over the troubled waters of this world. Every broken person can find a friend in Jesus. There is no friend like him. That means he takes up your cause. That means he carries your burdens and shoulders your sorrows. He was smitten and afflicted by God so that you could be healed, so that you could be made well, so that you could be an heir of his kingdom and a recipient of his promises. This is how much God loves the broken. This is why we say, not the righteous, not the righteous sinners Jesus came to call. That's good news. That means you can't, you don't have to fix yourself up in order to be a recipient of this mercy. You don't have to pretend and perform and people please your way through life in order to get what God is holding out freely by grace. It's a different way of living, to live a life that is marked by mercy. To know that you get to fill yourself with something far better than those lepers out there in the camp. You are filled up with all the fullness of God. That's what he's offering to you. He fills you with his spirit. He connects you to the resources and the riches of the gospel. Everything that is Jesus's becomes yours. That makes you rich in the most incredible way. But here's a question. What do we see in this text as far as our response to this mercy? That's what this text is challenging us to in the next piece of the, of the story. We hear God's call to broken people to receive mercy. But in the final piece of the story, we, we see God's call to broken people to extend mercy. And that, that brings us to our, our second point, y'all. All right? God calls broken people to extend mercy. And I think this is powerful and beautiful, what we see happen in this text. Because look, we flash back to the beggars, all right? These lepers, they're, they're out there in the camp, stuffing their faces, man. They're just like, yeah, can you believe this? Like, they're just stuffing the food in their faces. And, and, and then something happens. One of the beggars, as he's grubbing down, he looks over at his boy and he's got a milk mustache. And he's like, hmm, that doesn't look right. And then, and then one of the other guys looks at, looks at his boy and he's got crumbs in his beard. And then the thought dawns on them in the context of their, of their community. They say, we're not doing right. And the language that's used here, it suggests we're not living in line with what we are experiencing right now. This is a day of good news. You see, it's in the context of their connection to one another that they discover how far they're falling short of embodying and living up into the mercy they've received. And here's, here's the powerful thing about this story. These, these guys, they say, man, we're not living in line with this day of good news. We better go back and tell the people in the city who are suffering about the, this, this victory out here and all of these resources out here. Because if we don't, God's probably going to judge us. He's going he's to get us. And here's the deal. They were motivated by judgment to go back into the city and share this day of good news. But on this side of the cross, it's not God's judgment that should motivate us to extend mercy 
It's the kindness of God. That's what Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his mercies. It's that goodness from God that should drive us. His love, his, his overwhelming generosity toward us that should lead us back to the, to the city, back to the people who need the resources. And I think another profound piece of this story is this. These lepers were willing to go back to the very people who had rejected them. They were put out of the city by these folks. And yet they are willing to go back and share this day of good news with the very people who rejected them. You know, we, we could forgive these, these lepers uh, for, for not really wanting to do that, right? It would be a sort of poetic justice, right? Like you wanted us outside the city? Well, now we outside the city and we feast in, we feast in. Like that, that could have been their sentiment, right? And here's the deal. The Christian church has always been most healthy, most flourishing when on the margins, the church has sought to love the very people that has marginalized them. The church has always been most sticky, most influential in the most important ways when marginalized and yet showing enemy love. That is a distinctive of our story. That's a distinctive of our faith that we have received enemy love and now we're called to extend enemy love we have received mercy and now we're called to extend that mercy I don't know what you think about when you see the broken people around you I don't know what you think about when you hear mercy or mercy ministry but here's the deal every single Christian has been a recipient of mercy ministry it's important that we extend our love to those who are socioeconomically broken and living in a hopelessness without physical, tangible resources like food and water and, and, and good education. That's, that's important. But, in a, but in, a, in a very real way, all of us know what it's like to need mercy because, because all of us are in touch with our brokenness. Remember, the picture here is a group of lepers. They're, they have it. A, a systemic issue that has affected the entirety of their lives. And we know what it's like to have every single aspect of our lives touched by sin. We know what it's like to need mercy, but we also know what it's like to receive mercy, for Jesus to call us and invite us into the fullness of the spoils of his war that he won. That is God's word to the broken. I don't know what kind of brokenness you're wrestling with right now. Maybe you have an intractable habit or an addiction. Maybe there's a relationship you have that's, that's broken. Maybe you feel emotionally broken, spiritually broken. You need to hear God's invitation in this text. God is in the business of loving broken people. God is a healer. God is a restorer of the broken. He's able to mend you. All you need to do is call on him for mercy. That's, that's his calling card. When Moses asked to see God's glory, do you know how God revealed himself in his glory back in Exodus? 
He said, Moses, you can't really look on me straight away, but I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by and I, I will reveal something to you. And many Hebrew scholars believe that as the Lord came by, he sang, the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, showing mercy to thousands. He revealed himself in all of his glory, and what we hear is mercy. That's, that is a, that's a consistent characteristic and virtue of God. And you can call on that. You can lean on that. You can depend on him to be merciful to you. Don't try the self-help thing with your brokenness. Don't try to do it yourself thing. Don't try to get yourself, your act together on your own. Come to Jesus. Bring this to him. He speaks words to broken people. And it's a word of mercy. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your mercy to us in the gospel. We are grateful that all of the fullness that comes from the cross belongs to us. That you won the victory. And now we receive all the benefits. We pray that you would help us to lean into it. Help us to lay hold by faith of all of your kindness and your riches in the gospel. Lord, I pray for my friends in here that they would know that broken people are welcome in your presence because you are merciful. That broken people find love and grace in Jesus. He was a friend to sinners. He was found around those who were, who were the outcasts and the and the rejects of society. And no matter how we're feeling about ourselves right now, no matter how we're struggling emotionally or psychologically or spiritually, that you, you stand with a ready invitation to call us near so that we can be healed, so that we can have life and fullness, abundant life in you. So Lord, we pray that you would, that you would bless us that you would help us to trust in your grace and mercy and that you would do a fresh work in our lives. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.